The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today, John Jans, has been called the world's most practical small business expert. John is a marketing consultant, an international speaker, Wall Street Journal best-selling author of several books, including Duct Tape Marketing, The Commitment Engine, and The Referral Engine. He's also the creator of the Duct Tape Marketing System and the Duct Tape Marketing Consulting Network that trains and licenses small business marketing consultants around the world. His blog has been chosen as a Forbes favorite for marketing and small business, and his podcast a top ten marketing show on iTunes, was called a must-listen by Fast Company magazine. He's a featured marketing contributor to American Express Open Forum and is a popular presenter of workshops and webinars for organizations such as American Express, Intuit, Verizon, HP, and Citrix. His practical take on small business is often cited as a resource in publications such as the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and CNN Money. Welcome to the show today, John. Hey, thanks, Kelly. So uh, how, how funny is this that uh, we are um, recording this for a global audience and we're probably about six or seven miles apart from each other recording this? Uh, isn't technology wonderful? <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's absolutely true and and uh, love love this format. But let's talk about your new book, The Commitment Engine. I've known you for years, and as I said, you are known internationally as the uh, – business expert, small business expert when it comes to practical marketing strategies. And here you've got this new book called The Commitment Engine. It's a bit of a departure for you. So talk to us about how that how it's different from your other books. Well, yeah, as you, as you noted, my first two books were pretty much straight-up marketing, traditional marketing books in a way uh, focused on small business. And, uh, you know, my point of view is particularly in a small business, uh, everything is marketing. And so I wanted to write a book that – uh, but still is uh, still certainly draws upon my marketing roots, but really kind of gets into the essence of purpose, defining purpose, uh, communicating purpose, or, or why you do what you do as a core point of differentiation. You know how the culture that you build in an organization uh, impacts how people view that company, you know, externally, uh, and certainly then this idea of, of how to build a community, the, the, the people that, that do end up buying. Uh, products and services and evangelizing the company, how to how build a community that's very committed as well. So, um, I, again, I could make an argument that it is still a marketing book, but I certainly get into some areas that uh, that, that are, you know, ha- have in the past been considered uh, not necessarily marketing areas, uh, leadership and management and and uh, even hiring. And uh, But I really think it all comes back to uh, – this idea of you know, what is it that makes people really loyal and committed to a company, and I, I think it's uh, it's sort of everything in the soup that does. Right, absolutely. And you you were telling me before we started talking this morning that you were just announced. This book was just announced as the 
uh, lead, I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm just going to let, give you an opening to brag on yourself here. Oh, uh, the 2013 Leadership Book of the Year, or how, how, what was the award? Yeah, so, so, yeah, it was a, a, a tremendous bookseller called 800 CEO Read. They're all completely focused on business books. If you're not familiar with them, uh, it's a, a great resource uh, for getting books and finding books and reading about books. Uh, but uh, they, every year, do, you know, they have, a, I want to say, seven or eight categories of of books, business books that they uh, create uh, kind of a short list and then they ultimately pick one and uh, um, the commitment engine was chosen for, for this year's book uh, in the category of leadership, uh, which is really kind of funny because I, you know, certainly have, have not, uh, my, my readers know me for marketing and so uh, it's great to, to, to get recognized in, in maybe a whole other area uh, of business. Yes, and congratulations uh, on that because it is a bit of a, a departure for you, but like you said a few minutes ago, it, it really does tie in. You can make a case for this to be a marketing book, and after all, as small businesses, a, a lot of the time the only point of differentiation is our culture, is our is our commitments and our reputations, and so that is absolutely a marketing point, and so many businesses don't know how to convey that, not only to external customers, but to their employees as well. So a very important book. Let's talk for a minute about the commitment engine. What is a commitment engine? Let's just get that out there. Yeah, well, actually the way this book started uh, was after my last book, which was called The Referral Engine. I spent a lot of time writing about the fact that, that companies that Get more referrals are companies that are more referable. They do things that, that make people talk, and and so I started uh, kind of wondering, really, for my next marketing book, you know, how how is it, you know, that what is it about these companies that just have these rabid communities and rabid fans, and you know, could you actually build that as a business model? Could that be your intention um, to you know to to create a company like that? And so uh, it really was going to be a straight up marketing book. Uh, and as I went out and started finding companies and interviewing companies and studying companies that, that had this kind of vibe, you know, where people love to talk about them, their fans were just really committed, I pretty quickly found that uh, that their employees were just as committed and just as loyal and, and just as um, really excited about why the company did what it did and what it stood for and maybe the mission or the cause that they were involved in. Um, and, and then I traced it back to, the owners or founders or, or founding partners of these groups. And what I also found is that there was a very, very clear, single-minded sense of purpose. Um, uh, and, and in many cases, uh, it had very little to do with a better product or a better service. It was more about uh, a story. It was more about uh, you know, things like making people's dreams come true and, and, and solving some you know, global challenge, um, and that that's what really got them up in the morning. That's really what got uh, them excited about telling the story of their company, and that's what actually attracted uh, people who wanted to go on and, and join that cause as well. And, and really just as you started to talk about, it's really what differentiated these companies. And in a lot of cases, what I found is uh, these companies were some of the highest priced in their industry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they had some of the, the, the most rabid and loyal fans who were willing uh, to pay a premium in some cases for a product or service because they believe so thoroughly in how the company did what it did and what the company stood for. Sure. How did you find these? As you were doing your research, uh, how did the book come together? Well, how one of the things the that has been really, you know, from an author's standpoint, one of the things that's been really cool about all of this opening up of social networks and whatnot is, is 
you know, I can draw upon tens of thousands of people now uh, to to help me <laughs> find these companies. And, right, uh, right. And so in a lot of cases, there were companies, uh, you know, I, I talk about 37 Signals and Evernote, you know, a couple companies that mm-hmm. – uh, that are products and services I use, but a lot of these uh, two of my favorites, yes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of these recommendations uh, came just from people in my community. Something that I talk about a lot in the book, and and I think that that's um, you know that's a really significant point of this book is that I, I think the companies that, you know, that that qualify as what I call commitment engines don't really view their market as customers only. They view you know, all the followers, all of the users, all of the subscribers, you know, all of the network members as important and significant parts of the community, um, and they do as much to keep, you know, that larger group happy as, as they do the, the, the customer group. And I think what they found is that, you know, their cause in many cases was advanced in, in many, many ways and significant ways by people they never, ever met or, or actually had a conversation with. But because they, they cared so much about and poured so much into the greater community, uh, those folks became uh, evangelists or, or you know, people that were willing to spread the word. Sure. And as you say, with uh, social media, it's much easier to tap into a greater network than before. And, and it's obvious from reading your book that you've got some great stories in here. Now, the subtitle of your book is called Making Work Worth It. So I'm going to ask you, John, what makes work worth it for you? <laughs> well, first I'll tell you a little, a little uh, can I tell you a little story about how Absolutely. that subtitle came about? Because uh-huh. it's kind of a, a fun story, at least for me. Um, I, uh, uh, the publisher in, in in traditional publishing circles anyway, a lot of times publishers will name a book, they'll give it the subtitle. Uh, I mean, if an author's just dead set on what a title's going to be, I'm, I'm sure that they push for that. But I you know, I lean on my publisher pretty heavily to, to know what the right package is, you know, title and all that. And uh, so they came up with the, the title for the book, but the original subtitle for the book was Teaching Your Business to Manage Itself. Mm. And, um, and I, you know, maybe I was being lazy. I was like, yeah, okay, that's, you know, that's all right. <laughs> and I went along. And uh, I sent the book out, uh, as authors are, are want to do, to a couple people that I, I trust um, that, that were willing to read and uh, possibly uh, give a blurb for the book. And Seth Godin is, is one of those that, uh, thankfully, has, has done that for all three of my books. Uh, and he wrote a tremendous, tremendous. It's on the cover of, of the book, and I'll, I'll tell people, go pick up the book, and you can see what Seth wrote. But uh, he wrote a tremendous uh, blurb for the book, but then he also wrote, I hate the subtitle. And... <laughs> And I wrote back and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's kind of the antithesis of what this book is about. <laughs> you know, he said, uh, uh, this book is about making work worth it. And I said, wait a minute, that's it. <laughs> that yes. should be the subtitle. So uh, a really long story there, but I thought it was kind of fun to tell. No, so, um, so, we, so we give the credit to Seth Godin for, we, for we the do, title. We, we, yeah. we do, I do. Um, and, and it really, uh, in a way, it kind of changed how I looked at the book as well because that really is what uh, – a lot of what I write about, especially the first section. Uh, the first section is highly personal. Um, it is written almost in the point of view of, you know, uh, like I was writing to myself, <laughs> you know, this, the, mm-hmm. the the very small business owner who is, you know, is really in charge of, of in some cases, everything, but but mostly in charge of themselves. <laughs> um, and, and so there's a, the, the, you can make a case for the first part being uh, almost a self-help book. But, uh, you know, to me, um, the single greatest way to make work worth it, is, it, it for me is to make it worth it for others. Uh, and I think that, that um, that's probably when you ask, all the way back to the original question you asked me, if you could still recall what that was, um, that is what makes work worth it to me is, is the idea, is the, 
the idea that that I can work with small business owners, the people I just absolutely love. I've spent you know the last 25 years working with, uh, as I know you have as well, and and that I can work with those folks. And and actually, I think through some of what I write, some of what I teach, some of what I actually do hands on. Um, I think actually improves their lives in, in many ways because, uh, you know, as we all know, owning a small business is one of the greatest opportunities in the world. It's also one of the fastest ways to have the life sucked out of you. And yes. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so if I can actually relieve some of that by showing people how easy marketing can be and how successful they can be uh, thinking about a marketing system, then that's really a lot of what serves my higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned Seth Godin and his role in the – subtitle of the book and it's interesting that you even brought him up because at one point I was going to have you address the quote or the the acclaim that he provided for the cover of your book he says John's book is insanely brave and breathtakingly important take the time to read it slowly and I was struck by the phrasing insanely brave because how many of us really think of uh, a marketing book and it you know you said you can make the case for it to be that as insanely brave, but as you said, it is highly personal, especially the first part of it is highly personal from you as the author, and if we're honest with ourselves as small business owners, as we read it, we are going to keep peeling back the onion and peeling back the onion and answering the question of why to where to where we finally get to why is it worth it for each of us? Why do we do what we do each day with all the risks that are inherent? And as you alluded to or said, you know, it can suck the life right out of you. And so it is an insanely brave book. And uh People do need to read it from from that perspective. But I want to. What I want to do now is, you were talking about how, you know, what is a commitment engine? What are the different elements that make up that? And I kind of want to drill down into each one of those. And you mentioned extreme clarity. So, how do you create extreme clarity in an organization? Where does that come? Yes. Yeah, so so the book is actually broken up into three parts. The first one is is about clarity. The second is culture, and the third is community. And so, the idea behind this clarity is to to really get a a, a just laser focus on a you know what I found is the companies that that, that really had this uh, thing I call the commitment engine were, were very not only very clear about why they did what they did, but it was very simple. It was it was very in many cases it was one thing. It was one idea. Uh, and that drove everything. That drove their beliefs. That drove how they viewed, you know, how how to manage people, how to hire people, how to create products, how to price them. Um, and I think that that um, it, the, the the neat thing about it is not only does it make a company I think very different and very attractive, it, it actually simplifies a, a great deal of the things that we do in business. So. For example, there's a, a, a company that, it, and actually, I, I have a very set process that, that I, you know, try to use to help people get to that because it, is, you know, it, it is a lot like asking, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. You know that that ultimate question. And so I'm not suggesting that you just, uh, you know, have, have a, a staff meeting for a couple hours one day and you're going to get clear on on this. This is a work in progress. Sometimes, uh, by virtue of looking for it, it finds you. <laughs> Um, yes. And you realize this is really what we do. This is what our clients actually do appreciate. And you know, why aren't we talking about that? Um, there's an example in the book, and this is a great example of of it finding, uh, you know, this company's uh, what they stand for. You know, it sort of finding them as opposed to them just nailing it. Um, the company is a, a janitorial services company in uh, um, Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio, called Jancoa. Um, and I, I talk about this company a lot because it's such a fun story. I heard you were, talk, yeah, the first time yeah. when you did the TEDx in Kansas City. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, uh, they were struggling along, you know, doing a couple million dollars, had 50, uh, 50 employees, but they were all constantly scrambling to find enough people uh, to fill the work because they, they couldn't keep people. And so they uh, went to the library one day, got every book they could on HR and and uh, uh, retaining employees. And, and one nugget they found was you had to make it easy for your employees to get to work. And uh, so they went out the next day and bought a shuttle. Um, became the company shuttle, and they were the plan was to to pick up employees and drive them to work, move them to different job sites. What they uh, uh, learned in the process was uh, a lot uh, about uh, some of the places where their employees lived and uh, the poverty and the loss of hope uh, that, that they were faced with every day and, and the lack of dreams. And uh, you know, they were obviously not a lot of people dream about going into the janitorial services business as a career. So so consequently, they were really. Uh, capturing those people that uh, that you know we've given up all hope and uh, you know they were just putting in their time and so it was easy for those people to show up or not show up and so they decided what uh, what what they needed to do was instead of address a people problem it was to address a dream problem and so they uh, they actually uh, installed an entire layer of management and those people's job was to actually uh, identify, take every employee and help them identify a dream, no matter how big or small it could be, get a GED, send their kid to college, go on vacation, just something that they could hold on to. And that dream manager's job was to was to make sure that they were making progress towards that. And uh, they discovered that, that this little step, which, of course, then grew into something that became company-wide, that became you know, emulated and copied and written about by uh, organizations all over the world, that they found that this little step changed everything about uh, their organization and the people that they were able to attract and keep. They, 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 they're now doing about $15 million in business, have a couple hundred employees, wow. and virtually no employee turnover. And as I said, their dream manager you know, program, now now the, the owners of the company go out and talk about that all the time. And, and they will tell you, uh, you know, openly that as cool as all that is, uh, the word on the street is that, that their company is the company you go to work for if you want to get out of the janitorial services business. So, you know, they, they will say, you know, uh, repeatedly that, that their company or what they're you know, their single-minded purpose and what they're clear about is making people's dreams come true, and they've just disguised it as a janitorial services company. And um, right. I, I, I think that that's the kind of clarity that we're talking about. So now when they make a decision about uh, you know, a client, uh, who to hire, you know, what to put in their marketing materials, it, it is always going to be about coming back to this, this single-minded uh, uh, purpose of why we're different. Right, and I think you made a very important point early on in your remarks to that question, and that was that, you know, some people think, you know, I'm so busy with my business, I don't have time, because like you said, it's not a two-hour staff meeting that this uh, becomes apparent at, it's a process, and some people, I don't have time for that, but as you said, uh, if you can achieve this, it actually simplifies things, and then as you tell the story about the janitorial service company, They've got something that they can go back to every time and say, does this fit this? When it comes to their marketing, when it comes to their business plan, when it comes to anything, they can go back to that, and and it does simplify things. The next thing... Well, I just want to add one point on that, and it's probably going to get to what you're going to ask me next. But (laughs) the other thing, and and this is why the book was originally subtitled Making Your uh, Your Business Manage Itself or something along those lines I've even forgotten. Uh, is that when you're really clear about you know what we believe in, what we stand for, and, and obviously you have to you know there's lots of things you have to actually do to make that all real, um, but uh, it does allow people to make decisions because they know that here's what we stand for. So if there's a, if there's something a challenge that comes up or something that I don't you know I don't have to run back and say what do I do here? I just know the right answer. 
I know the right way to approach this. And, and so the, it really does allow for a lot more autonomy, and, and, and that's really where I think people, people that work in these companies uh, really enjoy them because they feel like they're all on the same team. Well, and you're right, absolutely right. That leads me into the next question. One of the other points, the second one actually that you make in, in the second part of the book, is the culture of shared ownership. So talk to us about what that means. Well, so so once you have this idea, you know, that here's what we stand for, uh, again, you know, I, I have run across business owners that, that have that. I mean, they know why they get up every day. They, you know, they know why they go struggle through the challenges and, you know, what it is that, that, that really makes it, you know, worth it to them. But sometimes they don't then take that and use that as, as the story, you know, as the, mm-hmm. as the, you know, you know, why you should come to work here, why you should buy from this company. And so a lot of organizations that then, you know, base that, uh, idea, you know, realize that that that, that they want to attract people uh, that 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 story, you know, resonates with. Um, but then I spend the entire you know, middle chunk of the book then talking about things like autonomy and and transparency and consensus and and ultimately shared ownership. I mean, um, think about any of the listeners out there that are that are individual owners uh, of a company. Um, you have. And, and, and particularly if you have no employees, this is always a great exercise. I mean, you have complete autonomy. In other words, there's no org chart. You you make all the decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, you, there's complete transparency. Hopefully, you know what the numbers are. You know, you know, you know how much money's in the bank. Um, you you know, if a decision needs to be made, you're the one that uh, that has to be convinced to make it. Uh, when you add a bunch of employees to an organization, in many cases, uh, that you know that very clear path of how to operate, you know, goes away through hierarchy and through, you know, sh- not sharing information and not being transparent and and you know coming you know with these top-down decisions. And a lot of the commitment engine companies that I studied, uh, to, in, in fact, in some cases had no um, org chart. They had teams of people that would do work, and they rotated managers through those teams. Everybody basically was a manager. Uh, everybody knew how much money was in the bank. Everybody knew what what profit meant. Everybody knew, you know, what an expense was in the organization. Um, they 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 literally um, acted and felt not just uh, acted, uh, but felt like true owners of the business. And so, can you imagine uh, a culture like that? And and it's funny. A lot of times, uh, I think there's a real misperception about this idea of culture. A lot of people jump to culture and they think, oh, that means we have a ping pong table and a football <laughs> table and an espresso machine and everybody loves to come to work here. Mm-hmm. What I found is in some of these companies, they actually went without those things because that's how owners you know, kind of think about uh, a company. And what they were more concerned about is, are we getting every order out the door on time? You know, are we, you know, are we wasting um, uh, money over here in this uh, in this expense? And And I think that... Uh, that to me is is a, is a much healthier um, culture because it's not really one of entitlement. It's not one of hey, do I get shares? It's literally if we make a profit, we all profit. And uh, and I think that that's the idea behind this uh, uh, shared commitment. Absolutely, and and all of those other things are just trappings. The you know ping pong tables and the popcorn machines and espresso machines and so forth. They're great and they have a place, but they're they're trappings. And as you said, a lot of times when you open up the books, whenever you open up the decision making and you allow the ownership, employees will fall right into uh, that mindset of wow. Now I understand how if we bring this other 
you know, fun thing in, uh, no, I'd, I'd rather put the money over here. And you, as you say, start talking like an owner. So completely different mindset occurs whenever you start uh, allowing that kind of a culture to, or cultivating that kind of a culture. Yeah. Now, now what, don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong, we have a ping pong table in my house. Yeah, I was going to say, they have their place, but, <laughs> but uh, and there has to be fun. There has to be yep, fun. And, absolutely. but, but it's, it's all within perspective and right place at the right time and so forth. Now, you've said something about, uh, earlier about uh, companies that don't have any employees in particular. Uh, that that reminds me of something else that you talked about, and that was a passion for the community. Um, and, and what I'm getting at there is some companies think that their community is their customers. It's it's right. their employees, if they have them, but a lot of times it's you know with small businesses it can they can be sole proprietors and their community then becomes their customers. So when you talk about community though, you're talking about a broader community. Talk explain what you mean by that. Well I, I think increasingly I mean we've always really had community. If you think about how community works, you know, in churches and schools and, mm-hmm. and the idea that uh, that people in those communities generally gather around a, a common, well, certainly a lot of it was around a common geography, um, but but also around common ideas, and and you know a lot of that ideas was you know to help people in the community and and to share, and and in many cases you know you just felt that was it was almost an obligation in some cases that you would help people in the community, um, and I think that 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 idea. Um, has uh, has really, I think, blossomed in, in the global and the networked world that we live in uh, because people now are forming communities. Certainly some of it's based on a platform like a Facebook, but they're also forming communities just around shared ideas. Mm-hmm. And and I think that what that, um, you know, that allows people to do is, uh, for example, to get on uh, uh, Google Plus and create a community uh, as I have of, of coaches and consultants who just want to share best practices. I mean, right. maybe in some maybe in some cases they compete um, with each other, or or may in, at some point. But 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 really they're just there to try to say how can we because we all think about the same things, we all have the same challenges. How can we help each other? Um, and and again, as I said, in some cases that may just be moral support. In some cases it may actually be hey, I've got a gig, I, I need you to help me uh, work on. And and I think that people that uh, businesses that that really see far, you know, much beyond um, just their customers uh, to, to this idea of all the people out there that are, that are talking about your business, that are subscribing, that are sharing, that are passing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if, if you believe that your job in marketing, as I believe it is, is, is to address uh, and create value for that entire community, then, then a customer will actually be just a natural outcome of that uh, point of view. And, and, again, it sounds... Uh, in, in many cases, it's harder to, to, you know, for somebody to pin an exact ROI on it. But, but I think we're all seeing it happen every single day in front of our eyes about these companies that uh, that, that don't even have a sales force. <laughs> that, right. You know, that that are that are benefiting so, so thoroughly from the fact that they were willing to give and they created something of tremendous value and uh, what they stood for, were, you know, resonated with so many people that uh, that were willing to go out of our way and and, and make these companies succeed. Sure, and you know it's interesting when you talked about the ROI from some of these communities. How do you, uh, you know, some, sometimes people's approaches to these remind me of the traditional networking where you walk into a room and there's always the people who come in and before they even say hello, they are pushing uh, business cards at you, and you yeah. just want to take them over to the corner and say, hey, <laughs> quick. Cut 
that out. You're not going to make an impression on anybody here doing that. And that's the way a lot of people approach some of these communities too, uh, particularly social media. And and the whole outcome is, you know, it's got to got to have a, a business a dollar attached to it. But personally, you know, just from my own experience in some of these communities, have I can I say that I actually made a sale, a true sale through some of the social media or in some of the community participation that we've been involved in? It's hard to say. However. I can tell you that because of some of the different articles, some of the different content that I have seen in it, they've become radio guests. I have not hesitated to, if I've enjoyed an article that somebody's written, uh, to call them up and say, hey, you want to come on this radio show and deliver that message to all of our listeners here on Blog Talk. And so it may not be a a dollar value per se, but it certainly has, uh, from a content standpoint and from a a relationship standpoint, uh, helped to move our business forward. So there's all different kinds of ways to measure that. uh, if you get too stuck on the dollar part of it, you're not going to be successful, I don't think. So, uh, well, and, and, and I do think also that, that, that you know, I think we've moved beyond the this idea that, that social media and these networks are just marketing, too. I mean, yeah. we, the business, many of the businesses that, that I write about and that I, you know, really enjoy these days are, are really taking kind of the point of view that they are a social business. Um, or that their model is, uh, is is completely social, and, and those companies really focus on uh, on the community and focus on sharing and, and openness and uh, um, and actually creating with their community or co-creating with their community as opposed to for it. Right, absolutely. So we have talked about uh, you know the three different uh, legs of the stool, so to speak, that that this book is is uh, built on. Now. With giving over, when you're creating a culture where employees are empowered to act like owners, where community is so important, you've got a lot of different players here. What's the role, the true role of the leader in a commitment engine business? Well, I, you know, they're still in many businesses, they're still wearing lots of hats. But ultimately, I think the, where they're headed is the chief storyteller. I mean, they're the ones that, that keep that. So, so the Millers, Tony and Mary Miller, um, of Jancoa, um, I'm sure that they still uh, go into work and have to, you know, look at, you know, how much work do we have, what are the, what's the numbers, you know, are we hitting our budget, you know, all those kinds of things. But uh, the, but they will tell you that the job they enjoy the most, the one that they're trying to move to doing thoroughly, is is telling the Jancoa story, telling the 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 idea of of the power of making dreams come true, both internally in their organization and now, you know, out on a speaking circuit and. Uh, uh, a writing circuit, and 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 again, a great deal of that is because it it not only furthers the objectives of their business, it it allows them to further the the objectives that they pers you know that personally um, serve this higher purpose. And and I think that that uh, is ultimately where a company that that really finds this, gets it, and and starts working towards it. That should be the vision: is that that you become the the, the keeper of the story that that it that you know that, that does describe. The higher purpose and and really the the one that that's keeping everybody very very clear um, everybody in the organization and everybody in the community very clear about you know what the, what that company and what that higher purpose stands for. Yeah. So bottom line, it's the story then becomes the marketing message both to the to your your staff to your to the external community your customers. Uh, it, it, that is the the marketing message then. It, it very much is I think uh, and and I think that companies that really get that. And, and lead with that as opposed to features and benefits of their products um, are, are really finding that uh, 
the world is extremely hungry for you know that type of message instead of uh, you know comparing apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I know that this for some people who are listening they may say oh well this is this is easier to write about than it is to actually put into practice. But with the companies that you worked with, how did how did they get their staff to commit? You know, we talked about the commitment engine here. How did they get their staff to commit for the staff to trust the leadership? In, in what they were saying, and uh, you know, there's probably some skepticism in, involved with some people. It's like, yeah, they're saying this, but it's the fad of the day. Or how, how do yeah. you get that to happen? Well, first off, it is much easier to write about it than it is to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you there, um, because uh, what I'm talking about, um, while I am, uh, while I'm really talking about it being a simple thing, it's not an easy thing, and especially in a lot of organizations. Um, who really get this and really want this, but the problem is they've, they've sort of worked their way into where what they are now, right? Um, right. Is, it's very difficult. Um, anybody who's a, an owner of an organization that's listening to this, you know, and, and has gone to a, a seminar or gone to a retreat or gone, you know, a workshop and they've come back and said, this is who we are now, um, you know, find that uh, unless you're willing to stay completely committed to that, to bring your um, bring your entire organization into the creation of that idea, into the creation of that story, into the telling of that story, into you know creating a, a, a set of, of core, very core beliefs um, with that organization, and then taking those beliefs and putting in them actually into into action in in your planning and in your uh, creating your priorities. And I mean, it's it is a complicated. Uh, um, process because you have to, it, it has to run through every single thing you do. So in some cases, uh, you know, organizations uh, that that, I've, that have come back to me that have read this book because I actually do lay out you know at, at least mm-hmm. one path for getting it all done. Right. Um, but um, the, the 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 biggest trick in some cases is that you have to undo. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe years of not acting this way or years of of you know, people's skepticism that was, you know, healthy because, you know, they, they've seen you know, organizations uh, uh, come and go and talk about this idea and talk about that idea. That idea. So I, I think that the biggest thing is you you have to commit, imagine that, um, to uh, to what that idea is, and then you have to commit to bringing in everybody, making it part of everybody's reality, um, and, and that, you know, that means you have to live it. There, there, there's a story I show in the book about a company that, uh, talked about you know their uh, one of their core beliefs was certainly to to you know treat everyone fairly um, and and as promised and uh, they they actually had a a sales rep that was um, doing some things nothing illegal but was like funneling leads to himself that you know should have been shared with other people and um, and and they found out and they fired him um, and then a big uh, big thing he'd been working on came through and he was owed about a three thousand dollar commission. Uh, and they sat around and, and said, you know, what do we do with this? And, and uh, you know, the owner of the company said, you know, our core beliefs are, I mean, this person's owed that and we're going to pay him. And it will be the right. hardest check I ever write. Nobody would uh, fault us for not writing that check. But, you know, what's what what's the bigger story of writing the check? What does that tell the organization? And, right. um, and, and he shares that story, you know, repeatedly because I think that that's the kind of commitment you have to be willing to make. How many of us have put, you know, all these things on a, on a plaque after having a, a planning session uh, one year because we read a book, and and then there's not a single person in the organization that could tell you what any any one of those things on the plaque means. 
Yes. Well, and that brings us back full circle to you know, Seth Godin's quote on the front of your book where it says that this book is insanely brave and breathtakingly important. And it is insanely brave because for any any of the business owners out there who are listening, any leadership within companies that are listening today, uh, to undertake this, you have to really get in touch and, and get down to the basis of, of why you started the business, what you're what you want to accomplish and, and those can be not just hard questions, they can sometimes be painful questions uh as you go through the process of getting the answer and then to have the the tenacity and the courage to carry it out. It's not just a matter of time commitment to carry it out. There are a lot of times in order to carry it out ethical decisions, just like the one you just described with the check. It's hard. That's insanely brave. And so this is a very important book. And congratulations on not only the publication, but on the acclaim that you've been receiving for it. And if any of our listeners today would like to get a copy of it, how would they do that? Well, you can find it uh, really in any of the places that sell books, uh, the local bookstores, the, the chains, uh, the uh, obviously all the online uh, um, sellers. Uh, it, it is in hardback. It's uh, Kindle version, iBook version, uh, audio uh, version uh, as well. So uh, lots of ways to consume it. Okay. And if anybody wants to find out more about you, perhaps get in touch with you directly, maybe have you come out and speak or sure. uh, talk with you, What? how would they do that? Yeah, so just uh, you can find pretty much anything you want, including all kinds of free content <laughs> at ducttapemarketing.com, D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. Yes, and from his, his website, you can also follow him on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, like we said at the beginning, we've known each other for years, and John faithfully, he commits uh, every Friday, I believe it is, uh, what he's found this week. It's one of my favorite posts. Uh, I look forward to it every week, and I have actually found many good apps and other you know, books and a variety of different things that have been very helpful uh, as a small business owner. So make sure that you follow him on Facebook, follow him on Twitter, so that you can uh, have access to those weekly posts about good finds that he's he's come across. So, John, thank you so much for being here today. It's always a privilege to get to talk to you about uh, your ideas, your books, and uh, we appreciate the time you took to be with us today. Well, my pleasure, always. Thanks, Bill. Uh-huh. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.